What's up, buds? Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young. And uh, today I am joined by Russian Machine Breaks uh, co-founder and uh, and writer, I guess maybe lead writer, I'm not totally sure. And also, for, for my sake, very importantly, someone who helped me figure out the audio very nicely on uh, on this on this uh, podcast that you're now listening to. Uh, welcome to the show, Peter Hassett. Peter, how are you doing? I'm doing great, although I and I'm, I'm so happy to help you out. Um, but I really think that you just called my website Russian Machine Breaks. Oh boy, <laughs> I'm fine with it, but I start today, huh? <laughs> yes, that's great, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I know that uh, whenever we have a podcast with just the two of us, it always seems like it takes like a long time, but like we always end up in a pretty good place. And I think we've both like been writing about the caps and analytics and stuff like that lately. And I, so I think I think we got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. So I'm kind of excited to dive in, but. Before we do that, uh, something happened today. Well, I guess it started last night, and then the ramifications became known today. And uh, for uh, those who weren't on Twitter today, which is great. People shouldn't be on Twitter if they don't have to be. Uh, the, Tim Peel was caught in an open mic uh, saying that in a game between the National Predators and Detroit Red Wings, a game that I did not watch because it's two pretty bad teams playing on a Tuesday night, uh, they, Tim Peel was saying at the start of the second period that he wanted to find a weak call against Nashville to try to even things out, basically. And and Pat, or, uh, Peter, this has kind of led to a little bit of discussion about evening out calls and all of this. So I guess kind of Let's start with where are you at on what the NHL did with, uh, I guess, prematurely retiring Tim Peel would be probably the right way to say it. Kind of kind of where were you at on this whole situation? Uh, I mean, it's it's obviously it's hard to come at this with anything but just acute cynicism. Right. Like we all know that games are finger quote managed. Right. That that there are cheap calls that there are makeup calls. It happens. 10 times a week and you know, everyone's used to it. I think the only problem is you can't get caught saying it. So he got fired for the hot mic. He didn't get caught for the underlying play, underlying call. Uh, I mean, there's been years and years of people complaining about Tim Peel. I don't remember him being in like a, like, like playing the back to have back two rounds of the playoffs, like him officiating the back two rounds. And I don't think he's ever officiated a Stanley cup final either. Yeah. So he's clearly like the C squad already. And, uh, I think it really, really sucks that they they effectively canned him, that they gave him an early retirement like this. I think it's a really shady move, uh, and it's done just to save face. But everyone knows that this is exactly what they do, that there are what, like, um, I don't know, like Joe B and Craig Lockham call them like ticky tacky like penalties or like, you know, borderline penalties, things that wouldn't be called, but were called because of the game state or because you're at home or versus the road. It's just uh, it's it's really unfortunate. And it just calls to. Uh, attention it's the you know Streisand effect they're like can we please stop talking about how these games are managed 
and it everyone wants to talk about it more because of it. So my my one my one point of optimism, I guess, out of all this, and uh, I think it's a stretch, but I'm I'm curious your thoughts on it. it. Kind of the idea that NHL referees are people too, and a, like maybe a guy getting prominently uh, removed from his position prematurely because he was only a month till retirement, which is something that's been discussed a little bit. Refs are people too. And so you think maybe like, okay, you see the guy saying this and then getting terminated. Maybe they run a little bit scared of doing this. Do you think, do you think there's any hope for that? Or am I maybe just uh, kind of blowing smoke up nowhere? I think you're blowing smoke. Um, So so (laughs) are you you saying that like, there's a a chance for like a chance? Like, I don't think this is about human frailty or anything like this. Like, um, the, there are officials, I mean, like I, um, I'm friends with the, uh, an official in the area and he's great. Right. But I've known other officials and referees and they have this tiny little fiefdom that is their, their officiating. And they think that their, um, sensibilities are like the, the only thing civilizing uh, a game that would otherwise be madness. Uh, and that attitude is is common and it's just sort of like the orthodoxy of of the NHL these days. So people sort of accept it. Um, Tim Peel had one that was probably worse than his peers, uh, you know, the other officiators. Like it was a little bit more esoteric and therefore bad. Like you just want to sort of fit in. And so like if there's anything that like contributed to him being canned early, it was that like he said this thing on the hot mic and people didn't really like him beforehand. Um, but Every other official is is going to do the exact same thing. They're just going to, uh, you know, run to cover. They're going to they're going to just do the exact same calls they have been doing, but try to do it a little, you know, lower key. Like if you're talking about the officials, the NHL is already pissed off, right? Yeah. The officials should not be the story, but the officials make themselves a story by deciding games all the time. Like literally yeah. every, literally every, every, like I would say every other game has, uh, you know, a situation in which there's a, um, you know, a high leverage situation in which there is a call that was let go or called. And this, yes, you're absolutely right. Like some of those are just these people being human. They're going to miss things. They're not going to be hundred percent, but there've been, you know, um, deliberations and mechanics put in place to make sure that that sort of interpretation and, you know, human, uh, uh faultiness is the deciding factor on games. And they kind of like it that way. They think it's, they do think it's a good thing. That's, that's all part of like the the culture, the game management thing. That's part of coaches and enforcement style and, and hitting styles. Tom Wilson, in a lot of ways, does what people think is of like game management. He just does it from the player side, and he's allowed to. Uh, the officials never should, right? I don't know. Am I rambling? I'm rambling. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. You're good. I just resent the idea as someone who used to be a baseball umpire that a that a referee would ever uh, feel like they had a they had their own fiefdom. That's just a ridiculous thought. I've never heard of a baseball umpire or five or all major league baseball umpires getting that reputation. That's uh, you know, it's it's definitely uh, I think I think it's fair. I you know, I think that it it also sucks too because. I think, and I'm not the first one to make this point, that when you basically try to call a game this way and just say, okay, we're going to go tit for tat and kind of just ignore rules or, you know, at least make them less important than this kind of semblance of artificial fairness, that you end up with a game that that has a lot more crap in it. And I, I guess both as fans of a skilled team, that could be kind of frustrating to, to see, no? Yes, uh, absolutely. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned baseball umpires because uh, I'm... I'm glad you're no longer a baseball umpire because I'm every day rooting for you to be replaced by a robot. The um, 
so there's a um, for the nationals, there's a, a podcast called I'll say very carefully resting pitch face. Uh, and one of their hosts is a, a, a person named Sidney Bergman. Uh, Sidney put together um, uh, articles for baseball prospectus, I think, years ago. And one of those articles is all about how like umpires have like an ejection bias that really just goes with like the um, amount of melanin in the person's skin. Like the, 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 the less white you are, the more likely you are to be uh, ejected from games. Um, yes, because there was a the, USA Today article, if I'm not mistaken, about that, too. I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I think there's a lot that can be done to sort of control for for bias. And uh, the, the problem here is is the bias and, and the firing was just because attention was called to that bias, which the NHL doesn't like. Yes. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll close that page on that for now, because uh, I think we we owe the people some Washington Capitals discussion, because this is, uh, as I say, every podcast, uh, as I start with other things and then inevitably turn to the Washington Capitals, that this is invariably a Washington Capitals podcast. So uh, I guess uh, I guess Pete, the Caps have been playing killer hockey lately. Uh, And I think this year, you know, you could say last year, maybe, you know, is is fits in this a little bit, too, although they struggled in the latter half of last year. But this year, I think you would say at least it's mostly supported by the underlying metrics. So I guess kind of what are you thinking about how they've been able to pull this off, particularly recently? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think they've been good, but I think even like the last time we talked, I said I was like withholding having opinions for a long time. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff that I love. I think that the defense with like one Brennan Dillon sized uh, exception has been fantastic, um, which has been a, a massive surprise. Um, and I do think that they've got way more depth than they were ready for. Um, but I do think they still have, you know, problems. And uh, I think that some of the what's called like the particulars of this division um, and the way this season's going are sort of uh, distorting at the extreme some teams' performances. And I feel like the Caps are definitely not at the extreme in either direction. But I, I wonder if they would be, you know, like a, I wonder if they'd be slaying it so hard if they were, um, you know, playing against, uh, you know, 31 teams this season or, or what have you. Um, let me, let me, like, like, you know, you have eight teams in the division. They're playing each other eight times or whatever, whatever the number is. Right. Uh, and like, I think the Colorado Avalanche, for, are, for example, are having a great season and they're a really good team, but they're not the, you know, oh, seven Detroit Red Wings right now. Like they're not the best team of this era. But playing, playing the Coyotes, Kings and Ducks, I guess a lot will help with that, huh? Exactly. And you guys see the same sort of distortion with like the Canadian division where like everyone beats up on Ottawa and uh, Vancouver, unfortunately, except for when the senators get you fired, which happens seems like every other week. Yes. Um, but, and but it's I, hilarious when it happens. Honestly, it's delightful. Like, <laughs> I love it. I love it when and there's been a whole bunch of coaches that have been like uh, have had like serious health conditions or got COVID and then got fired within like two months, which yes. is really dark. Um, yeah, like poor Ralph Kruger, right? You know, yeah. like everyone was so excited for him to get that job. And uh, I, you know, like, Julian. I mean, obviously, I think it probably needed to happen, I guess, because like we've lost, what, 14 in a row. But at a certain point, you're like, man, like half that team had COVID. And it wasn't like, you know, you don't want to say it's anyone's fault, but it really wasn't their fault. It, yeah, I. I don't think that I don't think Ralph Kruger was a good coach or a bad coach, but he was definitely Buffalo's coach. And yes. like <laughs> Buffalo has had, I mean, they had like Ted Nolan uh, behind the the bench there for like a couple of years. Like they're obviously not trying. Like they they really aren't. Even with like Taylor Hall. Well, anyway, I don't want to get 
too into the weeds here. But anyway, my point is that I think that there's a lot of, um, let's just call it uh, dead money in the game right now. And they're distorting uh, results a little bit. So like, I, I, I'm super happy about like the caps, like win loss. And I'm, I'm very confident they'll make the playoffs. Uh, and we'll see what happens when they get there. That's very yeah, well, I, mean, I, like, I think what's been good too is uh, we were, I think when the Isles turned out to actually be good and uh, we could talk about them later, but they actually might be good, which is kind of wild to me. Yeah, uh, the, right. the, you know, you were like, okay, like there might be five teams for four spots. And uh, with the, with the, uh, with the Flyers, Isles, Bruins, Cavs and Penguins, and uh, with the Flyers maybe actually being terrible, uh, although bad goaltending will kind of do that to you. Uh, you're like, okay, like it seems like we kind of have the four teams locked up, which might not make for the most compelling viewing, but definitely would uh, kind of help the Caps, uh, you know, round into uh, round to, into at least a playoff spot. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the Flyers being sort of like, even though they're still like a middling team, ultimately, that's one of the biggest surprises of the season. That and, you know, Pittsburgh having consistency issues that I'm, I'm and then their goaltending is garbage. There's a, a lot of what was supposed to be like the the middle high part of the division, like the non-Boston teams in the in the division have been trash. And yeah. the Capitals are not trash uh, and are in, even with their sort of like super disaster early in the season with uh, with COVID and with um, other things happening that are not jumping to my memory right now. Tom Wilson is suspended. Like those things really didn't really didn't hurt them in any substantial way. Um, they may just have deferred the amount of time. It, you know, they may have delayed how long we would go before we would like draw judgments about them, or at least I would. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think they've been, I think they've been a, a, a fine team. I have no idea what that means about anything. Uh, I feel like they are going to be somewhere between a first round elimination and the Stanley Cup champion. Uh, and I am going to continue to predict that it's going to be a, a Capitals uh, Vancouver Cup final uh, until the Vancouver Canucks are, are um, eliminated um, statistically. Yeah, well, I think they might they might be uh, I think it's it's uh, I forget if it's Dom or whatever who's tracking this. Uh, I think they, they might be near gold plan uh, ish in terms of playoff odds, but they are they are not there quite yet, I guess. huh? It's coming. Yeah, <laughs> um, that, that one's that one is a surprise to me. And I, I the more I look at it, like the more I'm still not sure I understand why they got so much worse. Um, I, I don't think it was entirely about um, uh, players that exited. Um I think that there's no, some I mean, players. I don't think Tyler to, I, th- I don't think anyone could have realistically expected Tyler to Foley to put up like what 19 goals or whatever. He has. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, 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 I'm tortured about that, but I think I'm, I'm drawing you off topic. Sorry about that. Anyway, like the, my, my, my long and short of this is that I think it's a really weird season. Uh, and I don't trust anything, but I'm enjoying the hockey when it's not boring, uh, which it sometimes is. Yeah. Well, speaking of, speaking of boring hockey, uh, the, uh, it, it does seem like, in, and when I pulled the numbers for this today, this was something I kind of found, and I think it's been repeated both on, on both of our sites a little bit, that uh, LaViolette maybe isn't playing the most exciting high-event hockey in the history of the world, at least on five-on-five. Uh, wh- where are you? I mean, it, it's early, and I think we've both said that the season is weird, but has this season changed at all your thoughts about LaViolette as a coach, uh, or is this kind of who we thought he was? He, he's exactly who I thought he was. Um, uh, I was willing to entertain it for a while, but like I, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what he meant by this. But like in like the preseason or early on the season, he's like, what we really want is 80 shot attempts per game. And yes, I was like, I saw Bro, that. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> that sounds like, I mean, has he come within a billion miles of that all season? I doubt it. I mean, there, there were, they go, they've been, I, I can think of like a bunch of like second and third periods over the last month 
where they put up like two, three shots on goal through for like a whole period. They just went like totally flatlined, like super turtle late in games. And which has led to like game collapses in, in some places. Some of those are like goaltending driven uh, or like defensive breakdown driven. But like he they really take their foot off the gas at, at times. And that drives me bananas. Um, so I, I think but I the defensive side of the puck, which for me, I think is like more interesting because it's more distinct right now, um, has been really positive. And um, Samsonov and Vanacek should be super grateful that they get this opportunity to do goaltending because the goaltending, the the defensive, the, like the quality and volume of shots, the positions from which those shots are coming that the goalies are facing this year compared to the previous three years on a trend has been a, yes. a massive improvement. Poor Braden Holby went from like the 30th best team at, at like getting uh, at like defending shot quality to the 31st. Um, whereas like, you know, Vanacek and, and Samsonov both look, uh, really solid because they're playing in front of a really good defense. Uh, Brandon yeah, well, and also hope he is dealing with uh, the, well, I, I, he got his contract, I guess. Well, you you kind of say the guy just got a little unlucky with exactly when he went to the market, but now he's uh, getting overshadowed by, I think uh, fairly by Patrick, uh, by Patrick Denko, who's been legitimately outstanding, but I, I, I kind of want to, I want to go Shoot back and uh, you're, you're a, you're a bit of a historian of capitals hockey, a little more so than I am in the sense you've been around this a little longer than me. Uh, do you think that, do you kind of see this as like a, Dale Hunter hockey? Do we see this as like a post-trap Boudreaux hockey, or is this something kind of is Laviolette doing something maybe a little different? Huh. Um. Is it post-trap? Um. That's a really interesting point. Um. I don't think they were. They were pretty. I. I wouldn't call it either because they're. They're definitely more. Um. Like the thing about Hunter, I would say, was really more about like player usage. Um. Like he really stopped maxing out um, like ice time for uh, Ovechkin. Uh, which well, we is, all remember the, 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 the third period being the Jay Beagle period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I wouldn't say it was like that. Um, Boudreaux's, I mean, like all Boudreaux really did was just end like the two man four check and like sort of take his foot off the gas on like offensive uh, faceoff losses. That was like the big, like when they when they, they just like sort of stack the blue line by yeah. like giving up the four check. I don't know what I would say. I mean, I, I really like the breakouts that the, they're doing. And I really like the like the defensive coverage that they're doing during five and five uh, and, and on the penalty kill as well. But I don't know if I would classify it as either. I just think it would like it's sort of like what I would expect the Nashville Predators to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, like like, a, you know, the kind of thing that gets your goalie to have like a 920 save percentage. Um, but it does seem to come at the expense of some offense. Yes. Um, that's, that's where I'm at. I, I, um, and I'm still sort of catching up, you know, like it's been like what, four days without hockey right now. This is Wednesday when we're talking and like, I was just glancing at, I think it was like JP's story about like, you know, Ovechkin Kuznetsov as a pairing. And I, I can come, I could come along with that just because it seems like it'll max out, you know, offensive looks, um, so I'm I'm I don't know I I I really don't think that we're gonna get a great idea of who this team is until like the last like stretch run before the playoffs. Um, you know I don't think anything's gonna happen at the deadline or anything like that, but like I think that they're they're still getting settled and I don't think they've had a 10 game stretch where they've played their like ideal lineup at any point. You know what I mean? 
No, yeah, well, and I think that's, like, the, if you wanted to maybe make an argument about why are they playing better, yada, yada, it's just been, like, well, they've had finally at least most of their roster is somewhat healthy, which will, which will kind of help. And then I, I, I kind of have a different way to, that different way I want to maybe think about it, and I want to ask you about this. Is, and it's that I, we, we've talked about the Caps window, and I'm really tired of talking about the Caps window. But I think one thing that I know internally we've we've discussed, perhaps, is that maybe this is kind of, like, with Laviolette's system and having having more co- coherent breakouts, I think you would fa- be safe to say, and maybe playing a little more defensive style might make sense for the roster that does not have a ton of team speed and is, you know, maybe not going to always be the most effective in terms of creating quantity at five on five. So I, are, are you at like this this kind of idea that maybe Laviolette's doing what he needs to with a roster that definitely has some flaws or is there something else kind of going on? No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I, like I think he's making relatively good decisions, um, at least of the players that are like in the lineup. I think that there are uh, like maybe like GM decisions or like roster staffing decisions that are more maybe like in like uh, the front office and like Fishman and McClellan's world. Um, but yeah, I think like with the tools he's got, with the horses he's got, I think he's doing okay moves. Um, yeah, I, like I don't I don't think there's like um, glaring problems really with systems anywhere that I like I bother me. That's that I I'm always sort of like deferential to the people that are um, stronger at X's and O's than I am. Um, but uh, I, I th- yeah I think I think it's I think it's fine. I don't think there's like a problem with like okay I'll I'll, I'll flag the thing that'll just sort of tee you up for um, what I'm I'm concerned about. I do think <laughs> that um, by offensively optimizing Evgeny Kuznetsov to the degree that they are um, this season, uh, I think that they may be screwing themselves over on going uh, shorthanded with the fourth line by giving the fourth line such really tough assignments uh, that I think they're they're going to the box more than they should. And it's probably cost them a game or two by this point. Um, and I don't think that Kuznetsov's individual like impact on the game in context of that sort of like offensive optimization is where I'd want it to be. Um, so like yeah. that, that, that's where I'm at, but I think you, you disagree and I'm, I've been waiting to get uh, owned by you. So go. Pick, pick, pick <laughs> I don't well, Okay. Like I, 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 and I, I finally, cause uh, what lies beneath got delayed a little bit because uh, I got sick with non COVID this weekend. Uh, so I, I, it just got published today. I think my my basic argument, and I actually don't think we totally disagree, which maybe doesn't make for the most compelling podcasting, but no. I'm not a podcast host, as you as you well know, that's going to inspire a ton of screaming back and forth. That's not really my style. Uh, more of a, you know, like try to try to have a elevated discourse, I guess, which is uh, I'm going to sound like an obnoxious lawyer, but there you go. Uh, so yeah. I think for Kuznetsov with me, I look at it and I say, OK, I I think I view him almost as a reflection of what LaViolette wants the rest of the team to do in an interesting way, which is I say, okay, like the zone start thing I think is interesting. And I think it, to me, it shows the way that LaViolette views Kuznetsov. Like, I think it's clear that he does not trust him defensively. Although what is interesting is when you look at the uh, puck IQ has a, has a kind of quality of competition metric, which I've talked to them before about it. I, I think it's, fine. I have a couple of questions about the way they do it, but I think it's it's a useful tool. And you look at Kuznetsov, and I don't think actually the, the the quality of competition didn't seem radically different than any of the other Cavs forwards, which is interesting. So I think we kind of use zone starts as a proxy for what LaViolette's thinking. But 
I look at kind of the old, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of kind of discussion from Blake, Micah Blake McCurdy and Matt Cain about making sure that you put zone starts in kind of an overall context. So and making sh- making it be one piece of a larger tool. And so I think where I'm at is I think the zone starts are interesting with Kuznetsov, but I look at it and I say, OK, the Caps are playing from both a expected goals, but also a high danger chances, some of their best hockey, at least in terms of suppressing shots. Like I pulled this number and I think it's still accurate that the Caps are allowing fewer high danger chances per 60 than any time since basically they started recording this stat. So mm. I say, OK, I think that Kuznetsov is, I think, reflecting a lot of what Laviolette wants to see in the sense of maybe like not playing the most up-tempo thing, but at least he's trying to maybe limit mistakes. Now, that being said, I think that the that the Kuznetsov, Vrana, and Sprong line definitely had their faults, and I think it might have done weird things to Vrana's game that I don't like, although I think you can kind of maybe debate that either way. I don't think Lavialette's necessarily treated him in the most coherent manner, but I, I view that as, as kind of Lavialette maybe saying, okay, like, Kuznetsov, simplify your game, and we're going to, this is the kind of expectation we have for the team, and that this is kind of what we're looking at going forward. So that's, that's my argument. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think, I think uh, there's a lot there. Um, I would not, um, you, you're absolutely right to like, at least like consult, if not like rely on like quality of competition stats. Um, I, I think I've seen anecdotal evidence, and this is sort of like, um, the the thing that I've I've sort of come around on is that um, a lot of coaching inside games is a little less um, conscious and a little bit more intuitive than I previously thought. Um, so like I would say that like two thirds of a game is really just like uh, next man up and maybe uh, get this one assignment like uh, that you want like maybe you know, make sure that they you have like a handful of good matchups. Um, sometimes it's get your guys the, the offensive zone starts you want like you know oh offensive zone face uh face off sure. get the fourth line off get or, the or line. put the fourth line against like Boston's perfection line which the Capitals seem to love to do and maybe you should not right like there's um so but in the third period I I've seen a couple of examples and these are anecdotes but I think that they clue me in on a decision making process from the coaching staff where it really seemed like. Kuznetsov was being hidden from particular matchups in the other team. Um, and um, it's something that I'm still sort of cooking up um, uh, over at the, the Russian Machine Breaks website. But uh, I think that I, I think there's a couple of examples where I think I've seen Laviolette say, I don't want Kuznetsov to go against these players. I want him in the and I'll, I'll use sheltered, even though sheltered usually comes with like a connotation inside the stat world. Um, that it's like, you know, against weaker competition in the offensive zone. I think it's probably just one of the two most of the time. And then both of the two, uh, some portion of the time, which is, I think, what people are getting at when they do like the the quality of competition uh, caveats, which is a totally appropriate. Um, and you're in, uh, as far as you're saying about like um, uh, high danger chances against rate, um, I'm sure that that's right. But I'm also, um, I put so much less stake in that in a short season with COVID against in, in this division where all the games are intra-division than I would have in a game where they're playing against all 31 or 30 teams in the past. Um, I really think that we're, we're going to see in the past, we're just gonna be like, yeah, let's just sort of throw out 2021's numbers. 
like people sort of throw out like PDO stats from like 2013 because of like sure. the 48 game season that year. Um, yeah, well, and I think it's also fair to say like we have a lot more data that Evgeny Kuznetsov is a, a, a objectively bad <laughs> defensive forward uh, in terms of like the high danger chances against, which, yeah, you could say, okay, like maybe Kuznetsov is like generating things that a shot counter wouldn't necessarily count as a high danger chance, but actually is like. I think that like you look at Kevin's past work on this and I think he's been really good about that. So I think that's something that's interesting to keep an eye on it, kind of this idea that maybe like we should trust the 200 plus games of data that Evgeny Kuznetsov is not the greatest defender in the history of the world versus 30 games or less that say that maybe he is. I'm 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 my mind's open about it. I really is. So like I'm hoping uh, and I really think that there was a uh serious conversation when Laviolette came into the office to say, hey, what are we going to do with Evgeny Kuznetsov? I don't think that that is like um, an isolated concern among stat nerds. I really think that the team, both like behind the bench and in the front office, hasn't been happy with him really since the cup win. Uh, and obviously there have been like a handful of events that have you know put that at a at a crescendo, right? Like obviously there's the cocaine thing and then there's the um, uh, COVID suspension. I, and, and then that is, those are both sort of like off ice goof ups, uh, that compound with, uh, subpar production or just sort of glaring defensive goofs. And poor yeah. Jacob Verona got like, um, disemboweled for uh, a shift change. That was effectively F getting Kuznetsov's call that Verona in my, in my interpretation, at first wanted to stay on the ice for, which would have been. Yeah, just, that was a weird play. That was the devil's the uh, second way. goal, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it, it would have ended the exact same way. It was like Miles Wood on like a screamer, like one of the faster kids in the league against Verona, who was gassed after like 50 second shift. Like if he stayed on the ice, he still would. They still would have gotten smoked. Um, but he, you know, dodged the plus minus. So whatever. Um, yeah. anyway, like <laughs> I, I think that there's a lot of, and, and even like from like the more like. I hate to like draw this divide, but I think there's like a um, some of like the more sort of lunch pale North American players on the team. I think there's some people that are like, hey, Kuznetsov's playing a little iffy. Uh, what's the heck's going on here? So I I I'm I think that Lavillette's doing all he can to get some good performances out of Kuznetsov, even if it costs some trade offs. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's interesting, and uh, I I appreciate the transition to Verona there, but I think before that, it is interesting that uh, that in that same game that we're both thinking about, the game where the Caps blew a three goal lead to the Devils and then ultimately did win in overtime, uh, that it I think the very next goal they gave up, Brenda Dillon made an egregious <laughs> defensive play, and there was uh, mm. granted he's a top pair defenseman, I guess, so there's no. I guess the the idea wouldn't be that you could possibly bench him, but that's that just the, it didn't even seem like that was an even remote possibility that the Capitals would do that. Which is so wild because like they have an astounding amount of of defensive depth right now. Yes, like they do. like like they they have even though they're seventy, it, it could be a top forty in my opinion. Van Riem's like that that one there. The the players that they have like on the farm and on the taxi squad coming up and down, uh, Faravari and Siegenthaler, I think are both at both at least like like third pairing defensemen. Like they they have like nine NHL ready defense. Defenders. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I think I wrote it somewhere that they have like five or six good third pairing defensemen, which is a really good problem to have, and it's interesting that they haven't really utilized that a ton. 
Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't, this is sort of like one of those problems where like, this is definitely like, oh, I'm complaining about a, a you know, a good situation. I think Brendan Dillon is the weakest of the six right now. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I haven't loved his, his play. And I also think that you're right that like, because of the orthodoxy and the like, you know, perspectives about it, I don't think he's benchable. Or at least I don't think it's likely that he would be benched. Um, in the same way that like I don't think anyone would ever bench you know uh, Ovechkin for more than you know a, a shift if he did something naughty. Um, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I mean, I think with Ovechkin at least you could say, well, uh, I, he is like probably the or not probably he is the greatest goal scorer in NHL history. So maybe give him a little bit of rope. Uh, but yeah, to count yeah, that, I wanna, to like, I, yeah, I'm I'm curious with Dylan at least. Like I I know in the off season it seems like there was this like. I don't know, like expectation that the Capitals had to absolutely head to re-sign Brendan Dillon. And I, I, I think my, my thought was no, maybe they don't have to, but like, I think they would be like, I, I, you know, I think Brendan Dillon, at least at the time I had him pegged as like a slightly above average NHL defenseman, but I don't think I saw him as any means indispensable, but yeah, like I don't I'll let you kind of tease this a little bit and I don't want you to spoil your whole, you know, I don't want people to be able to skirt their way around the Russian machine never breaks Patreon, but kind of what do you think is going on with Brendan Dillon this year? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what is going on. I just know that like the, the results that haven't been great. And I think the weakest pairings are the ones with him. Uh, he's had some really atrocious, like stinker games. Uh, a website I didn't even know about. I had to ask the, the good people on the, um, uh, hockey viz discord about it but there's a like hockey stat cards.com had like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah i like that place they had if you go to like washington and do like worst single game performance it's, it's like a brennan dylan uh game log um oh. yeah so like he i didn't i i was just saying like hey i have a i have a guess that if i were to look up like worst game scores like single game scores um for the season it'd be a lot of brennan dylan and it is and there's like a lot of evidence that like uh, you know, he's a drag on forwards. He's a drag on his defensive pairings. Uh, if you were to like make your like top three defensive pairings, um, just based on like available stats and like, you know, for, of, of, you know, pairings that have gotten maybe like, let's say 30 minutes of ice or more, um, Brendan Dillon wouldn't be in the top three. He probably wouldn't be in the top five, but you could probably go, you know, two, two or three pairings more, uh, before you, you got one with him on it. I, I just, I don't I think that they were they got a little bit over their skis with some money puck stuff. Uh, I really thought that they were they probably thought that they were getting another sort of like kept me value. Uh, oh, let's win a Stanley Cup with this guy who brings like, you know, size and puck distribution. Not that sure. Kempney is like the biggest dude, but he's he's a he's a thick dude. I did two C's and thick there. Um, there you go. There you go. And he's the, uh, <laughs> we, we've both have seen the uh, the. The I, I, I say this as a as somewhat as a queer hockey fan, I'm I'm in favor of more gay things in hockey. So I think uh I I'm all for the picture of Michael Kempney's size. Yes, uh, uh he's a really solid player, and I think that they thought they were gonna get a repeat of that. And I don't think they did. And then they re-signed him for like more than the Kempney uh like deal. I it's just a little Yeah, like a lot more. I think it was like double the value or something. Yeah. Um so I don't I don't really know what they're thinking there. Um, and I, I have a feeling they're probably already sort of kicking themselves or at least like the uh, the nerdier factions in the in the, uh, you know, I, I want to say Kettler, but I, I don't forget what it's called now. MedStar, the the, the nerdier offices at uh, MedStar capitalized Plex are probably already um, cringing a bit at the uh, decision to resign him for for X number of years. Yeah, well, it'll, it'll always be Kettler in my heart. Uh, so um, I, I want to, I mean, the Caps have been winning a lot lately. So let's talk about maybe two of the other defensemen uh, that 
I mean, this is a Washington Capitals podcast run by me now, so we, I, there absolutely Orlov. will be discussion about Dmitry Orlov. But uh, I, 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 you talked about uh, the in, a, in one of the in the snapshot piece that you thought that Orlov Jensen was emblematic of the Caps' identity under Laviolette. So you can kind of can you kind of explain that a little bit more? Did I say that? I think you did. Uh, that sounds sounds like something I would have said. I don't remember saying that, but it sounds. <laughs> Something I would have said. Was that in like a snapshot or something? Yeah, or? it was in snapshots, I think. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up to make sure that you did. Well, no, I, uh, no, I mean, I, 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 my guess is that it's about defensive quality. Yeah. Um, that that like low, like the volume, like the like opponent's shots, they're getting a number of looks. But they're, they're doing the thing that everyone BSs about, uh, which is like keeping shots to the perimeter, except they're actually doing it, which is so awesome. Like. Yeah, there's a lot of like big talk in this league that just doesn't match up with reality. And to see like uh, like a pairing like Orlov and Jensen, which like you know, are two players that have been widely lambasted by like fans over the years to yes. do to be like probably the most dependable pairing. I, yeah, actually, definitely the most dependable pairing that the Capitals have had on the ice this season. I mean, especially when you think about like uh, Orlov in the Orlov Carlson exper- uh, you know, experiment, which I was a fan of for a minute and then just did not work at all this season. Yeah, yeah no, I was, too. I, I think I think you, I think you quoted something I said. It was basically like, yeah, like last year, they when those two played together, they the stats were through the roof. But I think it's also almost certainly fair to say that that might have well been that they put those two together when the caps were behind a lot. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, like, yeah, I, I think Orlov and Jensen are one of those things that are making life good for goaltenders. Uh, and good for them. Uh, I, I don't mem- know exactly what they're doing on offense. I remember that Orlov's offense had been ticking up a bit. Uh, I really thought he was going to hit like a, you know, a season re- career high in points. I'm no longer banking on that. Uh, now we're <laughs> as far in the season as we are. But, yeah, although he's shooting like way higher percent than you would think. But that might, uh, you know, that's I think kind of a small sample size you would think at this point. And then like Jensen over the last like two weeks is like a sniper all of a sudden. Like, you know, he's that goal he, in Philly. Man, that was gorgeous. It was. It really was a special goal. So I, I think that that's that's what you know, Laviolette's all about. Like people would if, if people were to say like what Laviolette is, they would like characterize him as like the the defense involved in the offense. Uh, and I don't think that is necessarily borne out at all. I think that, you know. I don't really care about that line there, but I think one thing he's good at is that like it's it really is like a competent and coherent defensive scheme, and the guys that play that scheme appropriately or like are are fit to that scheme are slaying it. Uh, I mean like Carlson isn't necessarily doing that, but like he's still like getting like points uh, because of his participation in the offense, whereas like Orlov and Jensen are like playing that Laviolette like this is boring but it's good, um, not dead puck but still kind of dead puck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I think it's it's interesting, too, because I and I beat this drum a lot with Orlov because I, you know, I think it, it to me, I actually kind of emblematizes a bigger thing, which is I think that when you talk about a shutdown defenseman, there's I think we all have a vision of what the 200 hockey men would say that that should mm-hmm. look like. Like a, I know he's a forward, but like we all, I, the guy I have, have in my head is is Jay Beagle, who I love and adore, but you know maybe not the best signing for the Canucks. But uh, I I think like that's the kind of style that you you could say, okay, that's a shutdown style. But and Orlov, who I think it's fair to say has his ups and downs in terms of playing very high event hockey, at least from eye test wise, isn't someone you would necessarily say that. But then you look at it and you're like, he's really effective breaking out of the zone. That's something that him and Jensen both do spectacularly well. And 
maybe not spectacularly, but they both do it very well. And you think about, okay, like maybe my assumption about what a shutdown defenseman is and like, is it necessarily the thing that I would have thought? Does that make any sense? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and like, and I always think about like a guy that uh, like a Russian dude that used to play for the Senators like a billion years ago called, uh, I think he's Volchenkov. He, he was a guy that like, he, he would like, they would just throw him at Ovechkin because he was, you know, he was a big fella and he would just absorb shots. Yes. Block like, shots. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was, um, I think that's the vision of a lot of people of like a, a shutdown defenseman. Like if I had my choice of like who I wanted to play defense, maybe not like in the last couple of years, but like, if, if I had to like pick from like every defenseman in the league who I would trust most in like a shutdown role, it'd be like Dougie Hamilton because he's got the puck. Like he gets the, the, you know, he, he you don't get to sc- score him against them because he's already got the puck. Um, so I, I'm, yeah, I think that like our, our working definitions of like, uh, you know, shutdown D are, are a little bit outdated and stylistically they're, they're not quite what we would have, you know, thought they would have been. Uh, yeah. I just like I, I, those, those, I don't know. Brendan Witt probably was considered a shutdown defenseman for a time. And, uh, God <laughs> well, he love hit him. people, so he, you know that, that clearly had to be it. Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> shut down people's um, cerebellums. I guess is you know brain injury joke there. Um, yeah, <laughs> hey, uh, I guess we're, we're we're fans of a team that has Tom Wilson in it, so I guess uh, you know I guess we uh, gotta gotta make humor when we can. But uh, I, I wanna I'm gonna ask you about Ovechkin, and then we'll take a quick break, and then I have some. Uh, deeper questions because i've recently read a how to do nothing and that's going to be all i talk about for the next uh 20 minutes like an insufferable asshole but um i i ovechkin i know that jp wrote about ovechkin i think it was like three or four weeks ago saying hey his rate stats at five on five aren't great and i we had some concerns about him because i both in the sense of the caps are going to play him a lot of minutes kind of no matter what but i think at this point like Maybe you say the Caps have a couple of years left, but the big kind of overarching question for me is can he catch Gretzky or not? And if his shot rates went down, he wouldn't catch Gretzky. So since then, he has actually kind of recovered to a normal shot rate somehow at 35. So uh, that's cool. How is this happening? I don't know. Um, (laughs) I mean, like like he he had what, like uh, a two goal game where he scored both of the goals in like the third period. Like he he, whatever team they beat last week. And again, Rangers. Yeah, Rangers. I mean, like uh, he won that game single handedly. Yeah. Um, After like the Caps were playing one of the most boring games they've ever put up. Like it was absolutely like. Do you remember the natural hat trick Ovechkin had against the Kings? I think it was like a like a year or two ago. It kind of reminded me of that a little. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I know exactly what you mean. I think we were having a party for that game, so I, I, I vividly remember that one. Yeah, the um, the I, I don't know what to make of like Ovechkin's shot rate because you're absolutely right that like he's a volume based guy. Uh, like his his offense for years and years hadn't been based on him making like uh just like the the brain genius play, but him making like 15 pretty smart dude plays and two of them going in. Like yep. you know, like uh, he just generates so many looks from so many different ways, whether it's at five on five or the power play. And he's been doing some really silly stuff this season that he hasn't been doing in like five, six years, maybe like seven dangling years. people at and 35 like, <laughs> trying to go between a defender's like, like uh, uh, legs is something that like he was so frustrated about in 2012. Like, yes. he, like you could see like him hunching his shoulder. She's like, I've been doing the same move for six years and it doesn't work anymore. What the hell? 
Um, and it's because like he wasn't 21 anymore and he was doing the same move all the time, yeah. but now he gets to do it again. So like, um, I, I think that like he'll continue to adapt and like w- whatever you think of like, he's, he's, he is a brain genius at hockey. Yes. Uh, and maybe we'll see him change away from rate based scoring. Uh, or maybe he's getting lucky or maybe it's just a weird year, but I don't, I I've been wrong about prematurely calling the end of Ovechkin's uh, offense before it. I'm not going to do it today. No, 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 nor, nor should we. And I think it's, I, I, you hit on something that where I, where I was going to go to, and I kind of, I just want to reiterate that I think that for a lot of times Ovechkin was kind of maligned as like a, Oh, you know, he's like, uh, this is, he's like the guy that never breaks, but also he's like, you know, he has like a singular vision for his offense. And I think really like the last like five to 10 years have shown me that he is actually like maybe one of the more like creative and thoughtful and intelligent hockey players that you come up with. And, you know, it's like, OK, like we're not only we can we can call non-Canadians with with that kind of skill set, too. Right. Like that's it's not just a Canadian or a Swedish thing like Ovechkin can be one of the smartest players in hockey. And I just think that sometimes that's he, he doesn't get projected as that. And I don't think that's fair because he's going to end up being the greatest goal scorer of all time. And, uh, you know, he's he's pretty freaking smart, too. Yeah, a lot of that just comes from like our ethnocentric attitudes that like a person yes. that doesn't speak English is like a first language we like presume is like less smart, which is it, of course is untrue. And generally, like that's a person who's doing, you know, their job in their second language, whereas like I can hardly speak our first one sometimes. Um, <laughs> but like Ovechkin stylistically is absolutely a Canadian, like uh, you know, tough guy player um, of like the 1970s, rather than you know like a even like you're like Gretzky Canadian finesse player of the 1980s or you're like Yagers of the 1990s, like um, in 1980s as well. Um, those he's, he's a, he's a tough guy player, but he plays like a North American style. He doesn't play like the finesse Russian style that came out in like of the, the Soviets in the 1980s. And he's, he's a little bit of a um, sweet generous player. Like he's, he's one of a kind. And um, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I know not to count them out. I guess I'll put it like that. Uh, we're yeah. we're not we're it's we have a lot of temptation to say, oh, it's over for Ovi. Uh, and everyone who has um, said that in the past, including me once or twice, has uh, been wrong. Uh, so yeah. I'm not ready to, to count them out yet. Yep. No, I, I always I always try to tell myself uh, whenever we watch Ovechkin play that, uh, man, oh, man, we are so lucky that we got to watch Alex Ovechkin, one of the greatest NHL players of all time, play hockey. That's really cool. All right. With uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, uh, I got a couple of uh, NHL other NHL questions. That was uh, that was words that I came up with. And uh, I will ask uh, much to Becca's chagrin. I will ask uh, Mr. Mr. Hassett about a little esports. So uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I'm still here with uh, with Peter Hassett. And uh, I guess I I want to ask the following. I the Caps resurgent play of late. I I think we both talked that I that, you know, we don't really know about the Capitals yet. And there's some things we can maybe inference about them, but we don't totally know. I think one of the things though that's it's caused for me a little bit is I was very set before the year that I thought the Caps window was maybe over and that I, you know, like, I think that this was maybe they're a bubble team, but that's kind of it. I I think this year for me has maybe caused a bit of a rethink about what I think about windows of contention, particularly given kind of the randomness of hockey. So 
Has it done something similar for you, or are you kind of, I think you've been a little more consistent about saying the Caps have a chance, and uh, yeah, so kind of explain your thinking. Maybe. I'm done with I'm done with the, the window definition. Um, I'm done with the idea of a contender, and I'm done with the, the idea of a, uh, of a of a team having a cup window. The um, the Capitals Cup window ended exactly before they won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Um, so like the, the the team that's most likely to win the Stanley Cup rarely does because there's a lot of teams in the league, uh, and I think that's also true for the top like four, five, six, seven, eight teams. Um, and I think the Capitals would be probably around like the tenth most likely to win the Cup this season if I had to like take a shot in the dark. And I'm well, totally not right. Totally blind. Um, which is a really good chance, in my opinion. It's better than one in 31. Um, so the yeah, I, I don't I don't have much time for it because I I do believe that a we don't have a great idea of how the, of who these teams are this season like we did in the past, especially comparing one division to the other. I really think it's apples to oranges. Um, and the shortest of the season, the uh, uh, injuries, the illnesses. I don't think we know exactly what we're looking at. Um, we should just sort of have an experiential season rather than like an analytical season. In a lot of ways um, <laughs> with the, with the, uh, you know, uh, uh, John always JP always says it's the uh, it's, it's an entertainment product. Um, so I'm, I'm taking it more like that this season uh, as best I can. The, I, I really think the caps can win the Stanley cup this year. Um, will they, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> the, the teams with their cup windows open does not include the Washington capitals. But that, just means for me that that like it's a collection of the handful of teams that are most likely to win the Stanley Cup this season, um, which is like, I don't know, Colorado um, and Vegas uh, and Tampa, and, I guess, would be kind of the three obvious ones. Well, put, yes. Yeah, I think that that's a, a good collection of them. That doesn't necessarily mean that's them. Um, I If I had to bet, I would put my money on Colorado. Um, but I, again, like I said earlier, I don't necessarily trust their stats this season. Uh, so I, I don't I don't have time for it because um, the better team doesn't win the game uh, all the time and the better team doesn't win the uh, playoff series all the time and uh, 2010 uh, and the better team doesn't always win the Stanley Cup. Uh, I don't think that like the the second season that the Penguins won back to back in the last few years was a very good outing for them um, in, in all respects. I think that was the one that they won mostly from like some PDO stuff. Um, yeah. You know, the, the 2012 or 2013 Boston Bruins, whatever team that was that won the Stanley Cup, wasn't that strong during five on five. They had a really hot goaltender in Tim Thomas. There, There's a lot of examples where the best team doesn't win. Uh, so I'm I'm OK with uh, with just not having a lot of you know uh, investment in that that concept of the window. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So. I have a different kind of question for you. And then we'll, I'm going to ask you about your album and some esports, and then we'll get out of here. So I think one of the things that I've been thinking of lately, and I think and I, I'm asking this because I think you do a really good job of avoiding this trap. And it's kind of this idea of, I'm going to call it the consequentialist or the consequentialist at hockey fan, kind of this idea that the thing we really need to care about are the wins and losses and, under, you know, the kind of just this idea that it doesn't really matter and that the best team wins because of course the best team wins because the best team won the Stanley cup. So I think it's kind of reductive thinking. And I think you as an analyst do an interesting and good job of kind of avoiding those traps. So how do you kind of approach analysis in hockey, particularly given that a lot of the underlying stuff, a lot of the kind of top line results can be pretty luck oriented, at least in just the inherent nature of hockey as a sport. 
Uh, that's really kind of you say. Um, yeah, I remember uh, a long time ago working through it with like with like Ian um, saying, uh, like, what what is the foundation of our happiness in uh, in a sport? And um, like <laughs> we're going deep here on Japers and Radio. I like it. Oh yeah, well, like it's it's like um, the wins and losses don't necessarily uh, make me like a win. I'm like great, we won. That's great. We you know, the Washington Capitals won. That's great. Um, there was a game. Uh, a couple weeks ago, or you know, it was that Rangers game we were talking about, where yeah. I was not having a good time watching the game at all. The Capitals were barely, I mean, both teams were barely doing anything. The Capitals were in a one-goal hole for 90% of the game. And then Ovechkin scored two goals. I had a miserable time for two and a half hours and then a great time for like 20 minutes at the end. And my memory of that game is extremely positive now, um, which is just to say that like uh, appreciation of outcomes is subjective to what an outcome is to you. Like that yeah. was not a good game, but I had a really good time watching it in retrospect, even though I was unhappy for most of it. It's like watching a horror movie. Like you're in a really unpleasant experience, you know, watching, you know, people get ax murdered or whatever, but overall you're happy with it. And accepting that level of like complexity, both in like the statistical stuff where everything you look at is partially right and partially wrong because you're only ever looking at like one facet of a multifaceted concept. Um, you know, like if I were to look at like, Brendan Gallagher's offense, offense rates. Like I'd be like, well, Brendan Gallagher's the best offensive player in the last 20 years. And he's not. Yeah. Why? It's because that the statistics we have available to measure that, even the like expected goals, are not going to capture the totality of the circumstances, including like the playing context he's in, his line mates, all that stuff. Uh so I, I'm 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 I think just being open minded uh and being like willing to accept that these things are complicated and self-contradictory uh is okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's also, I mean, for me, I, I think I'm willing to also just say like, I kind of just enjoy the way certain players play. And it's why I think maybe I, when we talk about like Rana's ice time, and I am not going to rant about that again, cause I'm kind of <laughs> almost bored with it. But like, I, I think I get frustrated because I really just enjoy watching Vrana play. He's one of the few caps that play with speed and I think is consistently interested in generating shot, you know, volume. And that's cool. I like watching shots on goal and that's, and that's fun. So I think maybe that's okay, right? It's it's okay to like want fun players to play, even if maybe they're not like the most analytically efficient, although Vrana totally is. So there you go. And it's a it's an awesome like screw you to like the uh, anti analytics folks who are, who are like you only cover the numbers and we're like really because we just like watching our favorite players play like because yes. they're fun to play and these numbers help describe that like I've always liked Burakovsky sometimes he plays maddening hockey and I'm okay with that too because sometimes that's fun um, yeah I, and honestly when the Capitals are uh, a fire wagon disaster and they're winning games eight five or something like that. That's a damn fun time. The coach is miserable. The goalies are completely inconsolable, but I have a really good time watching that. So um, it's okay for you know there to be uh, shades of gray and no one, I don't know, no one really, like I, I enjoy the journey of plumbing through the data and finding where it's right and right where it's wrong and being, I don't know, forthcoming about that. Like the, the a lot of my writing, at least on like the, the analytical side of it is about, you know, uh, finding those, nuances of those gray areas that also just sort of um even if they aren't like qualitatively like good or bad give us like a, a deeper appreciation or a different perspective on the game that you know you can you're perfectly welcome to enjoy on whatever level you're you're comfortable with and i certainly do 
you know, tune my brain out sometimes in here and then just watch like big dude hit dude puck go in net. Like that's fine as well. Uh, I, I think just being pluralistic about it is a virtue. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all. I think I think it's also why uh, I it's it's perfectly okay and probably acceptable to enjoy peak Alex Seven over peak Brooks like. You know, it's like yeah. one is just aesthetically more pleasing than the other. Thank God, yes. <laughs> all right, well, I, I gotta I gotta ask you because uh, I know that JP is gonna want to hear about this because uh, we we got uh, the the musician quotient of uh, quota of Capital Sands is easily met because uh, I think I feel like. Every other Caps blogger is somehow really good at music and instruments, and uh, it makes me sad that I quit the trombone after high school. But uh, <laughs> so you you recently released an album. Uh, talk about it a little bit. Uh, yeah, I have a musical project that I, I do with uh, some longtime like childhood friends called Late Night Delivery, uh, and this record is mostly like a, a solo one I did. Uh, it's called um, Asperitas, which is a weird Latin phrase, but it's like a, I don't know it's like a progressive. I, Prog rock is probably the best way to put it because it's just super weird, no choruses, but it's like really uh, oppressive and sad and angry music about the state of the world. So the next thing I'll do will be pop songs, I'm sure. But yeah, I, um, it, it it's on all like the streaming platforms. If you go to late night dot delivery, you know, one word late night, one word delivery, um, you can you know see a bit on like you know five or six different platforms. But it, it's all me on 99% of the tracks, and they're all songs about you know people being living in space and working underneath billionaires and uh, dying of uh, uh, oxygen deprivation uh, and a, a song with a weird time signature and a saxophone solo. So I didn't do the saxophone solo, um, but yeah. And there, there's the, a rap on the last track, if I remember correctly, right? There's a, yeah, there's a rap on the, it's a diss track against Phil Collins. Uh, at least my part is um, <laughs> after like four songs of like really, really like, I don't know, like oppressively sad stuff. Um, I, I thought it'd be fun to do like a little bit of like a, weird palate cleanser so like that song is uh, a friend of mine who's a, a, a an absolutely superb rapper he does most of the song and i just do a couple bars at the end um and uh you know that song's also about like viking time travelers so uh you know it's a it's a little it's a heady goofy uh you know palate cleanser at the end of a, a dour record where i for for no reason i can think of just just phil collins over and over again there you go there you go well it's uh kind of reminds me of uh Tyler, the creator's uh, longtime feud with Steve Harvey, I guess, is kind of like familiar the, uh, with that. What's up? I'm not familiar with that. It doesn't surprise me. They are they're uh, a different different worlds. Those two. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's uh. I, so I, I'm a bit of a hip hop guy, like a like a lot of Jewish people my age, I guess. Uh, so I, that's uh when when, when uh, Tyler was with uh, Odd Future, they had uh a track and kind of at the random end of it, I, I'm going to earn the explicit label. It's fine. <laughs> he just screams, uh, he screams, fuck Steve Harvey. <laughs> right on. Like he kind of just, uh, and he does, he did that a couple of times before, if I'm not mistaken. And I think they asked him about it and he's like, yeah, I just, I just don't like Steve Harvey. So I guess, do you, do you have anything particular against Phil Collins aside from, uh, the fact that whenever I listen to it, I kind of feel like a weird dystopian vision, but also I kind of feel like going to sleep. I'm a really big Peter Gabriel fan and uh, Gabriel and Collins were in uh, Genesis at different times or, or with like an oh, overlap. Oh, okay. I get um, this now. And I, and I really don't like, um, like Phil Collins did like a record of like, like Motown covers and like Stax records covers in like the late eighties with like, you can't, you can't hurry love that. Like, uh, that, that's just a, a, abominable. And, uh, I just don't think he's the, the best musician. I would rather listen to, uh, you know, um, 
Peter Gabriel any day of the week, whose records sound better and he's a better singer and he has better politics. Yeah, yeah. And I know old school South Park is, uh, you know, maybe not the best thing to look at with kind of the benefit of time, but they did have a, a great episode of Phil Collins where I think they the entire town got hooked on uh, on like uh, the, the, like ADHD medication or something. And then all suddenly liked Phil Collins. So that uh, that definitely feels a little apt. Uh, I have a, I have one more thing, which is uh, at the end here, uh, I have what I call uh Good tweet, Pete's esports corner, which is uh, not a particularly good name, but uh, you are an esports fan, and uh, I don't really have a question here, uh, unlike the last two times I did this, but uh, I I will give you the the floor. Is there anything going on in esports that uh, that we should uh, pay attention to, or is interesting to you? There absolutely is. I'll do, I'll be really brief about this, and I'm going to express this directly to Becca. Um, Becca, um, the Overwatch League starts up on uh, April 1st, um, and my favorite team of the past was a team called the Los Angeles Valiant. Uh, and because of COVID stuff and because of uh, some like, you know, um, pocketbook squeezing in that sport, that that league, um, the LA Valiant basically like hi- like signed some players and then immediately released them. And I think they got subsidized by the league to relocate from LA to China which is like the biggest market for that league uh, and basically like hired a bunch of like third tier scrubs. They're going to get washed this season. They're going to go oh and 40 or whatever their, their number of games are. Sure. Um, and at, like ba- everyone like disavows them and they're just like disgusted by the, the management going on there. So um, I think uh, with the sort of like um, what, I mean, what, what am I, my, the thing I keep thinking about is like when you hear about like layoffs or uh, relocations or, or, you know, services changing, and they say, oh, it's, you know, it's because of COVID, it's because of COVID. It's, it is because of COVID. It's because COVID gave them like cover to do the things they want to do anyway, which is like a, you know, disgusting cost saving measure that squeezes labor. Um, and that's happening in Overwatch League, which, you know, the game itself is fun. The League will be a lot of fun, but I don't like the LA Valiant anymore. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll have to find a new team to like. Uh, there's a lot of other like um, hockey, oh, uh, Overwatch League, uh, like esports fans. There's a little bit of an over, like overlap in that Venn diagram. And so I'm going to let, you know, there's some Philly Fusion fans and some uh, Houston Outlaws fans, and I'll, maybe some Dallas Fuel fans, and I'll see if any of them can uh, pick me up this season. We'll see. Oh, and hey, Toronto hey, Defiant, hey. Toronto Defiant, which, you know, there's a lot of like hockey fans that are also uh, Toronto Defiant fans. Well, I'm, I'm all about having hockey fans that are not just like lifers that, you know, are, oh, yeah, like I, you know, grew up in the outskirts of Toronto and uh, I'm going to. My goal, my vision of hockey is to try to exclude as many fans as I can. So I think anytime you can not do that, that's good. So right uh, there you go. That's exciting. So uh, Pete, we uh, we we made it just a little over an hour, uh, which uh, actually for us I think is is relatively brief. So uh, I'll plug some stuff. Where can people find you and uh, you and your various works? Uh, RussianMachineBreaks.com. Just go to RussianMachineBreaks.com. Wow. That's our that's our website. Calling me out. That's okay. I'll, I can, <laughs> I, hey, no, one of, don't, one of the don't. reviews to this podcast literally says, uh, I really like the show, but Greg Young was not a good ad, so please <gasps> replace him. So that, is, uh, that person calling me out directly by names on an iTunes review, which is okay. So I'll, I'll uh, leave a five star for, for Japers Rink Radio, uh, specifically <laughs> Greg. Uh, the longer that strings is off the podcast, the better it is. There you go. There you don't go. tell strings. I said that I love strings. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to make it to the end of this either. So we'll see. Uh, but uh, I, I appreciate that. You could, uh, of course, find uh, Peter Hassett at. Uh, oh, boy. What's your Twitter handle? I forget. My name, Peter no Hassett. One should, no one should be on Twitter. But but if people if people r- can't resist the temptation, where can they find you there? Peter Hassett. There you go. Super, nice super easy. Simple. 
There you go. And uh, all right, if you uh, real quick, because uh, I know we're, we're we're running a little long here. Uh, if you like the show, uh, please rate, rate, subscribe, review. Uh, no less an authority than Peter Hassett himself said uh, he recommends a five star review. But uh, any we'll take we'll take reviews. It helps people find the show. And uh, next week um, I'm going to be joined by uh, at or by uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Klein of Japers Rink with uh, Adam. So we're going to do a three man show. That's exciting. And uh, you can find me at uh, at Greg Y underscore Jr. and the show at at Japers Rink Radio. So uh, with that uh, we uh, we bid you adieu. And uh, uh, Peter, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. 